Good morning. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Praise God. It's good to know that, isn't it? It is good to know that. I want to say thank you to all of the volunteers that showed up yesterday. In fact, if you showed up yesterday and helped out with our right day, could you stand? Where are they going? They're, they're all working. They must be out in the nursery. We had a good group out here. They must all be working in the kids' ministry this morning or something, youth ministry. They, they did it. We did an incredible amount of work around here. We got all of our props and Christmas decorations and things like that organized. We got our yard cleaned up. We got trees trimmed. We got the sign cleaned. We cleaned windows. What else? We did a bunch of stuff. Our uh, tool room and supply room got cleaned out. Man, we did a lot of work yesterday. So thank you very, very much. We appreciate it. We had a lot of fun. We did. We had a lot of fun. I think I got squirted with the hose once while we were doing all this. It was good. A lot, of, a lot of fun. And I appreciate everybody who came and served. One more thing I want to direct your attention to. On the back of your seat, or the seat in front of you, now if you're on the front row, you're just going to have to continue to do things the old-fashioned way. But you'll notice these little signs on the chair in front of you. There is a QR code on there. So if you are new to Return Church, first of all, thank you for coming. We're glad that you are here. You can scan that, and, it'll, and you just take your phone on your camera and hold it up there, and a little white thing will pop up. Click on that. It'll take you right to our website, and you can find out all about our church. You can leave your information so we can send you an email with more details about our church. And then there's also a way for you to give. It's an easy way to give. Scan that, and the page that pops up, there'll be a little button you can push, and you can give. It's like three clicks, and you have... Uh, you brought your tithe and your offering to the storehouse. So it makes, makes it easy, very convenient. Thank you to Jessica for doing that for us. It's an awesome, awesome thing. So Second uh, Thessalonians is where we're going to go today. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Today's message, we're still in this series about dwelling together. We've been talking about worship, and we've been talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in the church. Yeah, to, there we go. Whoops. We'll be all right. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Thank you. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, and our message title today is Uncommon. Uncommon. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 is where I want to begin to read. Let's pay, pay special attention to this verse. We're going to read through 16. But I want you to pay special attention to verse 13. As for us, we can't help but to thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. A salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. He called you to salvation when we told you the good news, and now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave, I'm sorry, love us, loved us, and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you 
in every good thing you do and say. Amen. He makes the statement in that verse, verse 13, he says, we're, we're thankful that, that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation, a salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. That, that, that phrase right there, that through, it's through the Spirit that makes you holy. Amen? God's Spirit makes us holy. In the, in the New King James Version, this is the way that verse would read. It says, but we abound... We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And that word sanctification, it's, it's holy in the, the New Living Translation, translated holy. In the, the New King James, it's, it's translated sanctification. And it's, it's the Greek word hagiemos, and it means consecration, purification, or the sanctification of our heart and our life. If we are saved, if we are born again, the Holy Spirit has done a work of sanctification in our heart and our life. He has made us holy. And another way of saying that, what does it mean to be holy? It, it, a word for it is uncommon. Why, why do we say that God is holy? It's because he is uncommon. There is no one else like him. Amen. He stands alone as God. I mean, you know that he's God, he doesn't need help. Amen. He's got the God thing covered, right? He stands by himself. He is holy. He is otherly. There's no one like him, Right? And because of that, his spirit, it's called the Holy Spirit, right, does a work in us, and it makes us holy. It makes us otherly. It makes us uncommon. Amen? The, the power of the Holy Spirit makes us uncommon. I want us to get that. The power of the Holy Spirit makes us uncommon. Jesus has called us to live an uncommon life. John 10 and 10 calls it an abundant life, but it's an, an uncommon life. I want to read that passage of Scripture, John 10, verse 9. Jesus says, I am the gate, and he's, he's looking back to Micah chapter 2, where the shepherd is the gate who lays himself. The shepherd would, in these sheepfolds, there would be a gate. At night, he would lead the sheep. They would follow him into that sheepfold, and as they gathered in, he would then lay himself in the gate. He himself would be the gate to protect the sheep so that the, wolf could not, the wolves could not come in through that door. And Jesus is alluding to that, that passage of Scripture in Micah chapter 2. He says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to still kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. Right? I think it's in the King James, the abundant life. That word there, abundant, is perisos. It's exceeding some number or measure or rank or need. It's over and above. It's more than necessary. It's super added. It is exceeding abundantly, supremely, something further, something more, something much more than all, more plainly superior, extraordinary, surpassing. Do you get it? 
uncommon, with preeminence, with superiority, with advantage, more eminent, more remarkable, more excellent, super abundant. Do you get it? God's called us to an uncommon life. He's an uncommon God who's made us an uncommon people, and he's called us to an uncommon life. We don't live like everybody else lives anymore. Our hearts have been changed. Our lives have been transformed for his glory and for his purpose. I want to take a minute. I want to talk about two very common mistakes we uncommon people make. These are uncommon mistakes that spirit-filled believers make. It's, and I think it's a shame that we have to make the distinction of spirit-filled believers. I believe all, all believers should be spirit-filled believers. I just believe that. God wants his people to be full of his spirit. Amen? The greater one living on the inside of us. You ever think about that? How in the world can we get depressed? I get depressed. It usually lasts for a couple minutes. And then I remember the greater one lives on the inside of me. Start feeling sorry for myself. And I remember, hey, the greater one lives on the inside of me. Amen? Well, I can't live a common life. Why? Because the greater one lives on the inside of me. So here are some common mistakes that we uncommon people often make. Number one, we become inwardly focused. We start to go wrong when we start to look inward. When we get focused on self, we start losing it. That's when depression creeps in. That's when we start feeling sorry for ourselves. That's when we start blaming other folks. That's when we start holding that unforgiveness. We start thinking about ourselves. We start thinking about how we were wrong, how we got slighted, how we got overlooked, how we, we, we uh, were born into the wrong family, the wrong neighborhood. We start looking at all these circumstances and situations. We start looking at ourselves. We take our eyes off of Jesus, and then we start to lose it. Things start to come unraveled when we are inwardly focused. Let's look at Satan for our example. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15, it says this. It says, you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. Satan is a created being, created perfectly by our God. It says, you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created until iniquity was found in you. Skipping down to verse 17, it says, your heart was, filled, was lifted up because of your beauty. Satan became enamored with his own beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your, of your splendor. And I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Satan had it all. He was in the garden, created there for a purpose. He was a cherub angel. I believe that he was in the garden for the purpose of covering something. Created by God, he was beautiful. It talks about his, 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 his nature. He was a musical being. Now, we've gotten all these, we, we have elaborated on this and created all these, uh, we've sermonized this and we created this idea that he was the worship leader in heaven. We don't really have any scriptural context for that, but we do know that he was a musical being. They, they believed that they, they were, there were tabrets that, that when the wind blew through that this music came forth from his being. And he got caught up in this. We need to be careful. What, what, Absalom is another picture of this. He had long hair. The Bible said it was his glory. And you know what happened? Absalom got caught up in his glory, and it killed him. His hair got caught in a tree, 
as he was pursuing his father, and it killed him. Don't get caught up in your glory. Don't get caught up in the beautiful things. Yes, God has created some beautiful things. We are his workmanship, and he has done a beautiful work on the inside of us. He's put his gifts on the inside of us. His spirit is in us. But don't get enamored just because you can prophesy and get caught up in that. Because you can speak in tongues. You think that you're something. Words of wisdom, the ability to discern spirits, those gifts that God put in you, don't get inwardly focused and start thinking that you're something because of the beauty that God has created in you. We read a little more about Satan in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. It says, how are you fallen from heaven? It's, again, speaking about the fall of, of Lucifer. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground? You, were weak, you who weaken the nations, for you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and will consider you saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as wildernesses, as a wilderness and destroyed its cities who did not open the house of his prisoners. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. When we start inserting our will, we get in trouble. When we start inserting our will, we are going to fall. Remember the passage we read last week in Acts chapter 19? It talks about the itinerant ministers who said they, they it, it says that they took it upon themselves to call upon the name of the Lord. Don't take it upon yourself. Don't think that it's because of you that you're in the place that you're in. Don't think it's because of you that, that, that these giftings come forth. They are the gifts of the Holy Spirit placed in you by God. I have nothing to give but from the power of God. There's nothing beautiful in me. Only what the Holy Spirit is doing is truly worthy and beautiful and to be admired. Nothing in me. As soon as we start to insert our will, we will get in trouble. We need to be careful. I want us to understand this promotion comes from the Lord. Promotion comes from the Lord. Self-promotion is the principle of Satan. You are called, every one of you in this room are called with a high calling. But I wanna encourage you, how do you respond to that high calling? Humble yourself. How do we respond to a high call? We have to learn to walk low and allow God to promote us. Don't try to promote yourself. Don't try to advance yourself. Allow God to promote you because self-promotion is the principle of Satan. Self-promotion comes from Satan, and it comes from our pride. It doesn't come from the Lord. And so sometimes God comes, and he pushes us down. I want to encourage you to value the push down, the put down. When God comes alongside you and tells you, sit down, son, 
You're not ready yet. How many of you have ever heard that? And sometimes God will do it through people. Thank God for those people. Don't despise those people. Thank God for leaders who care enough for you to tell you you're not ready yet. Don't allow bitterness and pride to rise up on the inside of you and cause you to miss the purposes of God. Submit. Submit. I don't know how many times in my life I've heard those words, you're not ready yet. It's not easy to hear, but it's the work of the Lord. He humbles us. He humbles us. His mighty hand will humble us. And it's good. Submit to the, humi- the, the, the humbling of the Lord. Otherwise, you will meet one day the humiliation of the Lord. That's what happened with Satan. God cast him down. There's a difference between being put down and being cast down. Being put down is the work of God. It's a, it's a gift of grace to our lives so that God can put us in a position where he can work in us. See, it's the same hand that puts us down that works in us, right? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. The same hand that puts us down works in us, and it's that hand that will also exalt us. Amen? The hand that pushes us down will work in us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. He is working in us. He is working on us. Amen. Aren't you thankful that God is working on you? Aren't you thankful that you are not yet what you're going to be? That he's working in you. He's molding you. He's shaping you. He's maturing you. He's taking you through a process that's going to see his son Jesus shaped in you. That the likeness of Christ is going to be formed in us. That the attributes of the spirit of God are going to manifest in our lives. Why? Because God is working in us. He's working out our pride. He's working out our ego. He's working out our lack of understanding. So when God puts you down, don't get upset about it. Say, Lord, what is it that you're wanting to do? Become a partner with God as he works. Don't resist the hand of God, but allow God to work in your heart so that he can exalt you. Why does God do this to us? I believe it's because he knows that we need something to go to the next level. God does not want you to stay where you're at. I say this often, there there are no social promotions in the kingdom of God. You know what a social promotion is? I was in high school, The, the, the principal came in on this gentleman's 21st birthday and they escorted him out of the school. They, they had a diploma, a high school diploma for him. He did not complete his coursework, but they graduated him because he stayed in school until he was 21. And it was against the law in Texas for a 21-year-old to be a high school student. And so they gave him his diploma. That is a social promotion. They put you in the fifth grade because you are 13. Not because you, you, you have all F's, but they put you in the fifth grade anyway. That's a social promotion. There are no social promotions in God's kingdom. 
If we're going to go to the next level, we've got to pass the test. God will not allow you to advance until you pass the test. You know why? Because he doesn't want you to get destroyed. He wants you to be ready for the next season. He will not put more on us than we're able to bear. And so he was working in us. He's crafting. He's preparing us. He's strengthening us. He's fortifying us. He's edifying us. It's the work of God. But you know what we do? We get in a hurry. And we start making our demands. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is not in a hurry? But when the fullness of time was come, right? God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. It was on God's timetable. The Holy Spirit is in no hurry. We, we get in a hurry, but he doesn't. He's patient. God's patient. If God wasn't patient with us, we would all be crispy critters. He would have already zapped all of us. But he's patient. Humility will wait for God. It's pride that gets in a hurry. How many of you have ever wanted it now? I'm ra- I raise both hands. We want the promotion. We want the position. We want the raise. We want, uh, we want to see the thing solved that's been driving us nuts. And God's just saying, Wait. I'm going to make it happen, but I'm going to make it happen in my time. We're, and we're sitting there saying, I'm going to make it happen. It's taking too long. That, that's our pride. That, that's our ego. Whenever, whenever we're considering our next move, you know what we need to do? We need to ask, is this a step or is this a leap? God's called us to take steps of faith, not leaps of faith. Don't leap ahead of God. God orders the steps of the righteous. It is the tempter that provokes us to leap. It is the tempter that will agitate us and get us stirred up so that we start walking out ahead of God. Those who are full of the Spirit will learn how to wait. Set a pace for what you can do over the long haul. Leave the mad dash for the people that are going to burn out too quickly. God's not in a hurry. Humility never demands its own way. It's only pride that assumes that our way is the best. So be patient and wait on the Lord. We, we want, David Cook taught me this. He said, we need to learn how to trust God even when we cannot trace God. Well, God would just do it this way if he would send this person, if he would put the money in the bank, if he would just line this out and that out, everything would be wonderful. God, you need to do it this way. You ever tried to advise God? Job did it, and you know what God told him? He said, as soon as you opened your mouth, you darkened my counsel because your words lack wisdom. 
Who in the world are we to make demands on God? You know you can trust God? You know why I can trust God? Because number one, he's good. I know his character. He will withhold no good thing from me. If he's withholding it, it ain't good for me. Number two, he knows the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things are not yet done. He says, I will do all of my pleasure. My counsel will stand. So I'm here demanding something, and God's just sitting in heaven saying, son, you don't want that yet. Just sit back. Relax. My way is not the best way. How many of you have figured out that, burger, that, that, that the kingdom of God is not Burger King? Burger King says, I'm going to have it my way. Jesus says, no, we're going to do it my way. Amen? His way is better than our way. Second mistake that we uncommon people commonly make. We, we become dependent, more, more dependent on man than we are on God. Amen. The greater one lives on the inside of you. You have access to the supply of the Spirit, and you want to lean on a man? Really? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, it, it, it shows this. It, it shows how we make idols out of men. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, that you will all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am Cephas, or I am of Christ. Look at this question. Is Christ divided? Is this not the kingdom of Jesus? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius. At least any of you should say that I had baptized you in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, at least the cross of Christ, should be made of no effect. These men were making idols of men. I've, I've got some news for you. You don't have to look to another man to get what God has for you. Amen? I got news for you. It doesn't matter if I lay hands on you or Pastor Bill lays hands on you. It's the same Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter if Scott lays hands on you. It's the same Holy Ghost. Amen. It doesn't matter if Daniel lays hands on you. It's the same Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. Let's not make idols of men. Think about all of the things that we have seen over the last 
40 or 50 years of charismania. <laughs> and building up men. Oh, if I could just get to this guy's meeting. If I could just make it over here to this church, I'll get what I need from God. If I can just get in the right prayer line at the right time and they can touch me and look at me the right way and blow on me, or, then I'll get it. Now listen, I, I don't want to demean the fact that we need each other in the kingdom of God. I don't want to demean the power of agreement. When we, when we need someone to pray with us and to agree with us, I don't want to demean that. I'm just striking at this thing of idolatry where we set up men as the answer. And they are not. In the charismatic circles, this is a major problem. Not just in charismatic circles, but it is one that we deal with in charismatic or Pentecostal circles. We make idols of men. Psalm 118, verse 8 through 9, it says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Psalm 146 and 3 says, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man, in whom there is no help. There's no help in Chad Hayes. Period. There's no good thing in me but by the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen? The Spirit of Jesus. That's the only thing that I have to offer. That's it. So those are two common mistakes that we uncommon people make. What, I'm going to ask this question, what does it look like to be uncommon? I want to look at a man named Caleb. Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, it says, but my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit, or he had another spirit, has followed me fully. I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. You know what happened? Caleb had a different spirit, and so Caleb got a different result. The spirit of the Lord is in us. We should be people of different results. We, we know the story that the spies, Moses sent them into the land. Twelve of them. Ten of them came back with a negative report. There's giants, and they are going to slay us all if we even step a foot over there. That was the report. Joshua and Caleb came back and said, you know what? There's fruit the size of basketballs. Let's go. He had a different spirit. He got a different result. God says in this verse, because he looked with eyes of faith, he's going to inherit the promised land. Because there was a different spirit, there was a different attitude on the inside of this man, he's going to inherit what I've said he could have. What does it look like to be uncommon? What does it look like to be different? 
I, I want to direct you, your, your attention to Acts chapter 4, verse 33. Acts chapter 4, verse 30, 40, uh, 33. I'm going I'm to skip the context just for the sake of time. Go and read Acts chapter 4. But it says, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. You see that? With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great power, great grace. What does that mean? Great authority and great ability. They witnessed about the resurrection of Jesus Christ with great authority, and there was a great ability that was with them to minister. That's what it looks like to be a people of the Spirit of God. Great authority and great ability. How many of you have seen strange things in a Pentecostal or charismatic church? I could tell you all kinds of stories. As a church, Rachel and I probably have been to this church over a hundred times. Every Wednesday night, the same three men lay hands on each other and fall on the floor. And then he'll get up and lay hands on the other guy, and he'll fall on the floor. And then he'll get up and lay hands on the other guy, and he'll fall on the floor. And I've seen this I don't know how many times. And after a while of watching this, I thought, what... What's the end of this? Where's the fruit? How many souls have these men won? And I am a proponent of the power of the Holy Spirit. I am. I want, you may think I'm nuts when I make this statement, but I stood over here during worship and I prayed in tongues. I pray in tongues more than all of you, like Paul said. I'm not anti-Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong in what I'm saying here. But what's the end of it? Did God fill us with his spirit so we could speak in tongues, fall on the floor, and roll around the church? What's the end of it? I am going to give you power. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit makes us uncommon. It gives us an uncommon authority to declare the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose on the third day so that we could have newness of life and a relationship with our God. We have authority to go and boldly declare that message. And then by the grace of God, we have a supernatural ability to go and minister to people, to bring light and life and hope and peace and joy and healing and strength, to cast devils out of those who are possessed, to declare the opening of the door to those who are in prison and the breaking of the chains to those who are bound. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit is. Not that we can just get goosebumps on a Sunday morning. 
And I do. I get goosebumps almost every Sunday morning. I'm not against those things. But it's for more. It's for more than just speaking in tongues. You can speak in tongues and go to hell. You can. You can prophesy and go to hell. Jesus said that one himself. Again, I say what I said over the last couple of weeks, that the gifts are not proof that we are mature. They're not proof that we have arrived. They're gifts that by God's grace, he gives us so that we can minister, but they are not the end. Of, uh, they're, they're not what this thing is all about. They're tools to be used for the glory of God to advance the kingdom of God. The Great Commission is well within our grasp. In the middle of Pride Month, the Great Commission is well within our grasp. With pornography at an all-time high, the Great Commission is well within our grasp. Amen? With sin abounding, the Great Commission is well within our grasp. With nations outlawing God, the Great Commission is well within our grasp. Why? Because we are people that are full of the Spirit of God, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Amen. God gave us his Spirit so we could advance this Great Commission. Jesus birthed the church. He commissioned the church. Go and make disciples. And then he empowered the church. He says, go and make disciples. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are not doing this work alone. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to go forth and make disciples of all nations. That's what this thing is all about. What is the work of the Holy Spirit all about? The work of the Holy Spirit makes us like Jesus. This is what Jesus meant when he said, greater works than these shall you do. Any of you ever walked on water? Let's be honest. Ice? I've been there. I drove on water. Lived in Minnesota two years. It wasn't doing these stranger things than Jesus. Jesus did some radical things. What Jesus meant when he said greater works than these are you do, you know what it was? He was saying you're going to be more fruitful. Why? Because I'm going to put my spirit on you and you're going to be able to spread out all throughout the earth. That's what Jesus meant. His spirit is in us and now we live as he lived. The Bible says that, that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and now he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We have the same ministry that Jesus had. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us like Jesus. I'm going to give you some text for this, and then I'm going to wrap up. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. What it's saying is that we look into the mirror, and we see the image of Jesus, and when we look into the Word and we see Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and it changes us to be like Jesus by the power of God's Spirit. Amen. That's what that verse is saying. 
The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make us like Jesus. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. It says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's what I'm trying to do, to live like Jesus. And you know what I do? I mess it up regularly because I can't do it. When I start trusting in Chad, I fall on my face. When I lean into the Holy Spirit, I can live like Jesus. Only when I lean into the Holy Spirit can I live like Jesus. Only when I'm depending on him can I live like Jesus. I can grit my knuckles and try with everything on the inside of me. I tried for the first 18 months of my Christian walk, I tried to give up alcohol. Couldn't do it. But the Holy Ghost got a hold of me and he turned me inside out. I walked out of a church service a free man. The Holy Ghost did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He has predestined that we be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The eternal purpose of God for every one of us is that we would become like his Son, Jesus Christ. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, so that we can live as he lived, that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. God has called us to be an uncommon people. We've taken these scriptures like, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, right? A peculiar people. And we've used that as an excuse for our spiritual oddities. That's not what that, that means. You are his own special people. That's what the word peculiar, peculiar doesn't mean weird. It doesn't. Not even in the Greek. We are an uncommon people. That's what it's saying. Empowered with the spirit of God for the purpose of God. God has called us to be an uncommon people. I've been trying to walk this thing out for 20-some years. God saved me. God did what I couldn't do for myself, and he has made me an uncommon purpose. I live my life differently than I used to, and I live it differently than most human beings, most Christians when I was a young Christian, 1997, I read a, the biography of D.L. Moody. And there's a story about D.L. Moody where he, he met a butcher who was a believer. And they, the, the, he heard this butcher say that the world has never seen a man fully consecrated to God since Jesus Christ. And D.L. Moody overheard that statement from the butcher. And he, he said, I determined at that moment, I'm going to strive to be that man, fully consecrated to God. Think about all the amazing things that D.L. Moody did. One of the great preachers of his generation started the Sunday school movement, started all kinds of organizations. A great man of God who did a great work for God. Why? Because he consecrated himself to the Lord. When I read that statement, I said, you know what? I'm going to do my best to be a man fully sold out to Jesus. I've lived an uncommon life. I've made decisions that most people would not make. I've quit jobs because God said quit the job when it was the best paying job that I've ever had and I had no promise of any kind of income but the Lord was telling me to quit that job. 
That's uncommon. Church, God's calling us, and I'm not trying to boast on myself. This is what I believe God's calling all of us to live. Uncommon obedience. Uncommon people who don't hold grudges. Uncommon people who don't rebel. Uncommon people who don't cuss out the, the people at the Taco Bell drive through because they got their order wrong. That's what common folk do. We're uncommon. The Spirit of God is living on the inside of us. He's called us for a greater purpose. We give when it doesn't make sense. That's not common. God has allowed me to do some amazing things because I've made the decision that I'm going to be uncommon. A friend of mine, Sean Alexander, he made this statement. He said, common men think on many things. Uncommon men think on the same thing all day long. One of my favorite Verses in the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you'll be filled. I wake up every single morning seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. I go to sleep every night seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. When most human beings are flipping on the TV, you know where I'm going? I'm going to the Word. I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm not. I made a decision. I'm going to live an uncommon life. And I've seen uncommon results. When most of the students in Bible college were running around having fun in the afternoon after class, you know what I did? I went to a private room in the dormitory. The semester before I met Rachel, they gave me a dormitory on the campus. I didn't live on campus. They gave me my own room because I was there so much, and I would go into that for three and four hours at a time and pray and read the Word. I did that the entire semester. I read through the Bible three times that semester. That's not normal. That's uncommon. If you want to be different, you've got to have a different spirit. If you want to live a different life, you've got to make different choices. We need to make some uncommon decisions. Like, I'm not going to be an every third Sunday Christian. You know when I made my decision of whether or not I was coming to church this morning? 24 years ago. The only time that I've been out of church in 24 years, I was in the hospital once. I was in coronavirus shutdowns the rest of the time. And I was still at the church recording videos. 24 years. I've made it my priority. Why? Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. My kids do not even know it's optional to go to church. They have no clue. And they're happy about it. You know why? Because I've chosen not to provoke them to wrath. I've chosen to have a relationship with them. I've chosen to live this every day consistently so they don't know any other way to live. They don't know hypocrisy from their father. Does that mean I don't make mistakes? I make mistakes in front of them all the time. But they see me press to Jesus when I do and keep going. 
I've had the difficult conversations about when I've messed up with my kids. I've had the difficult conversations about all the ugly things that happen in church with my kids, and I've built them in Jesus that they're going to be rooted no matter what. No matter what. One of my kids came and said, this was recently, they said they didn't want to go to the youth camp that's happening next weekend. I just said, you're going. You see, I'm the dad. And that child doesn't belong to me. It doesn't. He's not mine. He belongs to the Lord. And I have a responsibility to that child. And I'm going to stand before Jesus and give him an account for the way that I raised him. And I said, you're going to camp. Now he's happy about it. Some things have shifted and changed. But he was feeling some things that were making him uncomfortable in that moment. But as a dad, I just said, you know what? You're going to go to camp. You're going to go. I believe I'm going to have a different result because I've made different decisions. You know what my 16-year-old child is doing right now? The one that was standing up here a minute ago playing this guitar? He's in the youth chapel preaching to our youth right now. That's right. And I don't say that. I don't mean that. I don't want that to sound arrogant or anything. I'm training my kids for the work of the Lord. And they don't have to be preachers. They don't have to be missionaries. They don't have to be pastors. I'm pointing them at what God has called them to be. And if they don't ever go into full-time ministry, I don't care. But they're going to serve the Lord. It's not optional. My uncle was a very successful evangelist back in the Late 1960s and early 1970s, right out of Bible college, he had success. Started preaching. My son's 16 years old. My uncle started preaching at 16. He became the most prominent evangelist in his denomination. He was traveling all over the country. He traveled for five years without a break, and he came home. He came home to his father's house, and it was a Sunday morning, and he got a knock on the door. Steve, it's time for church. He said, I turned over and tried to go back to sleep. And a few minutes later, Steve, it's time to go to church. Turned over and tried to go back to sleep. Finally, J.P. Fender opened the door and said, Steve, get out of bed. It's time to go to church. He said, I felt like I had a good reason. I'd been traveling for years having meetings all week long, and I deserved a break. And he said, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm staying home today. I'm going to get some rest. Now, my, keep in mind, he's in his 20s. He is a grown man. And my grandfather says to him, Steve, you're in my house. You're going to church this morning. I don't know how I got off on this, but here we are. I'm talking about being uncommon. My grandpa was uncommon. There are scriptures in the Bible that I know because my grandpa quoted to me every day when I was at his house. He was uncommon. My uncle got up and went to church. It was this little church. And the preacher, the man's name was Verbal Breen. That may be a different story. Let's not quote that. So the man at this church who pastored there, it may have been Verbal Bean, but I'm not sure. He said, I want you to preach this morning. He said, oh, pastor, I'd rather not. Why don't you just preach? No, I want you to preach this morning. Guess what happened? He preached. 
ended up being the greatest revival meeting that he ever had in his ministry. He said, I learned something in that moment. Talking about being uncommon, doing things differently. The world sleeps in on Sunday morning. Common people are late to church. Common people are taking their kids to soccer tournaments on Sunday mornings. If you want a different result, you've got to have a different spirit. We've got to make different decisions. And I want you to understand this. What I, what I was saying about raising my kids, it, it's important that we do not provoke our children to wrath. We, we, can, call, we can do things, drag, forcing them to do things spiritually that will cause them to resent the things of God. That's not what I'm talking about. Let me, let me just say it this way. They're, they call them the formative years for a reason. If you've got young kids, they are like wet concrete. My kids were at work, work day yesterday. You know why? Because the concrete is already dry. I put form boards up when they were young, and the concrete dried to that shape. Now they don't know any different. They were here, and they had a blast. They worked almost as hard as any adult. Why? I'm doing something different with my kids. It matters. And the same thing about reading your Bible, about coming to church, about your prayer life, about your decision to come together with the people of God and worship. These decisions matter. And these decisions are what will make you uncommon. Everybody else is going the easy way. The people who make the most impact for the kingdom of God are people who go upstream. Amen. Do things differently. That's the fact, Jack. Let's stand together. Rachel, can you come to the piano? I want to encourage you, make some different decisions. Make some different decisions about your finances. I'm doing everything that I can to live my life absolutely 100%, 100% debt-free. I'm doing it. It's, it's a lot. That, that's why since October, every free moment that I've had, I've been remodeling our home. I made a decision to do something different. You know Why? Because I hope that I can put myself in a position where I don't have to demand some mega salary from a church to be able to put my kids through college. I'm hoping that I can live my life in a way that, that my income, I can do whatever I want to do with it. That when a missionary comes into town, that not, not out of the church bank account, but out of my own personal bank account, I can write a big check to give to a missionary. I'm doing everything that I can my, my money is motivated by one thing. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things. My, the way I deal with my kids, it's motivated by one thing. The way that my, my marriage operates is motivated by one thing. It's uncommon. You may think I'm a fruit loop. That's okay. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. 
church, make a determination, make a decision, amen, to be different. I want us to come down to this altar. I want us to come down to this altar. And I want us just to wait upon the Lord. I want us to lean in. I want us to do business with God right now. I want you to say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Empower me. You might speak in tongues. I hope you do. But more than that, I hope that you are absolutely saturated in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be baptized, to be saturated in his presence. I hope that you are baptized in his spirit right now in this moment. Let let, let me say this, and I'm going to let my wife sing, and we're going to seek the Lord. I gave you my favorite definition of baptism last week. It is to be pickled. To be baptized in Jesus is to be pickled in him. Anybody like pickles? If you like pickles, raise your hand. If I take a pickle, keep your hands up. If I take a pickle and I dip it in bleach, how many of you are gonna eat that pickle? There's a picture. There's a picture for you. If we are allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us up and satisfy us, then it's all good. If we let the spirit of the age, the spirit of this world fill us, we're like a pickle that's been put in bleach. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event. Bible in Ephesians says, do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And the verb tense is there. It means this. It means to be being filled. We need to constantly be being filled with the Spirit of God. Get a fill-up in the morning. Get a fill-up on your lunch break. Get a fill-up in your cubicle at work. Get a fill-up in the, on the, uh, in the drive on the way to work. Get a fill-up before you go to bed. Get a fill-up in the midweek devotional. Get a fill-up on the Sunday morning. Be filled. It means to, to, to soak in the things of God, to be full of his spirit, to take it in, to allow it to penetrate and pickle you and saturate you until you begin to look like Jesus, live like Jesus, act like Jesus, treat people like Jesus. That's what it's about. Would you drink in the Spirit of God right now and allow God, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, saturate us. Fill us, Lord God. Fill us, Lord God. Change us. Saturate us, Lord God. Create your nature in us, Lord God. Lord, change our cravings. Change our desires. Change our appetites. Change thought lives and patterns, Lord God. Make all things new in us even in this moment. Father, do your work right now in Jesus' name.